Hello and welcome to a new episode of Bean Voice. Today we talk again with Gavin Crump, a Bean consultant, the well-known Aussie Bean guru from Australia. Hi, uh, Gavin. How are you doing? Hi, I'm really well, Petru. It's um, it's good to be back on back on the show. It's been a little while since our last one, so um, I think it's great to come back, and um, it's good to see that you're well as well. Um, you're recovering well as well, Thank so you. I'm pleased to see that, and um, I look forward to discussing a, a lot of things that have probably happened and developed since the last time that we um we spoke about all things BIM. Yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, I was uh, really looking forward to catch up a little bit. Yeah, me too. I did not mention something actually, and. Uh, Something quite uh, important change uh, in your career, uh, and uh, that's it. Uh, that you started teaching at the University of Sydney. Yeah. Uh, let's start by telling us a little bit about that. But uh, first, uh, for the ones who did not uh, listen to the first episode, who are you? Uh, so um, I guess to catch everyone up to, to me, I guess not everyone knows who I am. Uh, they'll be quite presumptuous to assume they know me. Um, yeah. So, so my name is Gavin Crump. Um, I've worked in Australia for my whole life. Um, I've got an architectural background and I've worked for about 10 years in AEC. I currently work in Sydney, Australia, um, and I've worked my way through various BIM roles from a technician up to a coordinator to a manager. Um, started with more of an architectural focus and eventually found my way more towards a BIM management style focus, where I was focused more on um, building BIM systems, BIM workflows, uh, maintaining the BIM standards and systems in companies, um, which led me eventually to become a consultant. Uh, when I realized I wanted to help more than just one company at once, I guess. Um, and um, as, as you said, uh, some people know me as the Aussie BIM Guru. So that was a YouTube channel, which I launched um, just over two years ago now. I think it turned two uh, about a week ago. Um, and, and that's been just an amazing journey, uh, a way to sort of expose my ideas to, to the global industry. Um, and also just to expose myself to the global industry and get a lot of opinions and ideas and, and you know, meet lots of great people such as yourself that I guess I wouldn't have wouldn't have really known otherwise. Um, it's it's a great you. way to just network and I highly encourage anyone else to consider just putting themselves out there if they really want to, you know, accelerate their career and just who they are in the industry. Um, but I guess that that's me, me in a nutshell <laughs> uh, for now. Yeah, but lots more to come. And, and as you said, I've just started teaching um, as well. So I guess, um, yeah, that, that's been a really interesting experience. Um, so I got approached by uh, a well-known friend in Sydney who used to teach an elective in BIM. Um, in this case, they call BIM building information management. Um, whereas I guess I'm, I'm more used to it being, being building information modeling, but there is a bit of ambiguity over, you know, what BIM stands for and what it represents. Um, so I sort of took this opportunity because he was getting quite busy with his own, his own consulting business. And um, I've, I've always been really keen to educate university students because that's obviously the best way to to really set up the, the people of tomorrow, I guess, is to go back to them before they, you know, really step out into the industry. Um, so I teach what's called a, a capstone unit. So this is sort of one of the last electives they'll take uh, before they graduate. So typically this gives them a few sort of mini projects they can use um, to contextualize their, their degree. Um, so in this case, I work mostly with uh, masters of architecture students, uh, some of which have professional experience as well. Uh, most of them are, are local in Australia, a few of them are international, um, so actually remotely studying from, from other nations. And it's just been a really interesting way for me to sort of package everything that I know about BIM um, from a process, uh, a software, a delivery perspective, um, and also just contextualize it in, in, in an educational environment. And to also take a step back and realize how, how hard it can be to, to teach BIM from the ground up 
um, to people that you know really haven't heard about it before. And it's given me more uh, techniques I can use that really help me just deal with everyday people, clients, um, in just trying to explain this this you know three letter acronym that um that has a lot going behind it. So yeah, it's great. It's it's been a good experience. How much time do you use for this? Um, it's not too bad actually. It's sort of like an intensive course um, where I manage a little website uh, for the university for the course where people can do discussion boards and quizzes. And we meet for five contact days. Um, three of them are sort of heavily lecture focused, and two of them are heavily tutorial focused. Uh, one challenge is it's a remote a remote unit, um, so I have been teaching people via the Zoom platform, which is you know a very different way to to teach. Um, I'm hoping next year it'll be in person. Um, but I guess uh, behind the scenes, there's a lot of yeah, fingers crossed, everything stays stays good. It's looking a bit better now. Um, but I, I guess behind the scenes, I've been sort of reworking the entire curriculum, uh, modernizing it, so including a lot of concepts in there like IFC and Open BIM um, that weren't necessarily captured in the previous uh, curriculum. So I've been showing them things like BIM Vision and uh, BIM Collab and some of those tools that can sort of open up the way that they use software. Um, so not necessarily just using Revit and Archicad and some of the more closed platforms. Uh, and also refocusing BIM as a process, uh, not just, a, I guess, a modeling process, but more than that. So how we use information, um, how that information goes on to become digital twins sometimes, uh, and also how information is briefed successfully. So I've been showing them uh, the Planoly platform, so the BIM management platform. So that's been a great way to, to show them that, you know, if you don't ask the right questions, you'll never get the right answer. And also if the client you know, doesn't have the right questions, sometimes we need to ask them those questions too. So um, it's been a good way to sort of just get them thinking more about, I guess, the reality of BIM that they're probably going to encounter as well, that it's not all just uh, fun modeling and, you know, building families. It's, it's so much more than that. Um, so it's been a it's been a great opportunity, but it, yeah, it's about five days. But behind the scenes, it's probably about a, a good month of curriculum development. I would say has went in, into it, um, with the idea that I'll be able to run this course a, a few times um, throughout the years. Interesting. Mm, but it's a it's a pretty significant time investment, mm, but a high reward as well. Yeah, yeah, it's very important. It's very important preparing the the future generations that will um, they they will have a huge um, uh, advantage. Uh, when when they will have already uh, some something um, a, fu a fundament right the fundamentals uh, of yeah. of this uh, from the university and um, yeah that's very very nice they they have something that they can build up on after afterwards right yeah I've tried to essentially give them like a head start almost um to make sure that they they know all the things that they're not going to have to just find out through consequence or through trial and error or through making mistakes and then finding out later, oh, this is this was a better way to approach BIM even as a concept. So I've tried to give them that, you know, three to four year head start on, you know, what we already have um, so that they can reach, you know, where we are faster so they can go beyond where we are now. And I guess their new perspectives and their new ways of thinking and ideally just pioneer that the next steps in BIM. Um, because I find that, you know, whilst we do still obviously take steps ourselves, um, I do notice that the youth really are, you know, the next the next frontier of pushing development through and questioning the status quo and saying, you know, why do we do things this way and should we do them this way and do we have to do them this way is, is probably the, the most valuable question I hear them ask. And I say, well, that sounds like you're going to be an entrepreneur and you're going to go against the grain. I already have a few students that are asking those sort of questions, which is great. Um, and I have to tell them, I say, maybe you'll found the next big company that makes the new platform or, you know, just pioneers a new process, the, the next BIM, whatever that will be. Um, so it's, it's, it's really great to just get those fresh perspectives 
and and also just to, to revisit my own my own perspectives on BIM and, and sort of find that opportunity to question my own presumptions and sort of put it in, in a bigger context, um, not only globally, but also from a more software agnostic perspective as well. So not just necessarily focusing on the platforms that I use, but um, but going beyond them. And, and that's been a really great way to sort of ground my my own understanding as well. So um, yeah, it's, it's been really rewarding and, and it's definitely something I recommend that a lot of professionals consider um, once they've worked for a while, um, just to sort of keep them, I guess, you know, aware of that bigger picture. Um, besides just working on projects every day, there's a there's you know a whole number another generation right behind us, and and they're they're very thirsty for knowledge. So yeah, it's been great. Yeah. And uh, they made a great choice. They poached the right person. Who can be uh, better than somebody that uh, has over ten thousand subscribers and uh, has teached so many people? It is good having the YouTube channel because I can just send them videos sometimes if they have certain questions. Uh, they just say, oh, "I'd like to know more about this," and I say, "Oh." got you know three videos on it one of them asked about um you know studying BIM as a tertiary thing so going beyond this and I said oh, I've got a video literally talking about that and it's it's really cool I mean uh, hopefully they don't see me as too much of a celebrity I guess it'd be a bit <laughs> I'd be crazy if they saw me like that way but um I do I do meet people now though which is a bit strange in the workplace sometimes when I go out to meet clients sometimes there's a technician somewhere in the office and they go it's him it's him and they, and, they, and they know who I am it's a bit strange so I've only been stopped in the street once so far and that was a strange experience so I'm not like a rock star or <laughs> anything like that um yeah I do have to remind myself I'm just making BIM videos but <laughs> I understand but uh, there is you are a rock star but for a for a very small niche right yeah 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 exactly. which we are we are a small niche afterward yeah, afterwards yeah like I wrote an article recently talking about my perspective as a BIM consultant talking about architects. And I had to force myself to say, I know I'm just a BIM consultant. I know BIM isn't everyone's focus in the industry. And I, I tried to contextualize, you know, this small little piece of the market that we focus on so intensely and said, I appreciate, you know, not everyone cares about BIM. Not everyone needs it. And, you know, some people just hate it. Like they, they wish it wasn't there. But but I guess for me, it's, it's my passion. And just like there's someone out there that likes dealing with bolts and steel connections, you know, good on them. <laughs> someone has to. Um, so I so said, I put myself in the same sort of perspective. That's what makes our industry so fun, I guess. Everyone's a, a bit of a specialist in some regard. Yeah. Okay. What else uh, significant has happened uh, since last oh, year? What else things, can actually, you tell me? I mean, I'm trying to think where to begin, I guess. I mean, one, one big change for me is that I, I worked as a sole trading BIM consultant for pretty much all of 2020. I, I launched my business uh, around about in June is when I got busy. Um, between March and June was like my building, marketing, website development phase. Um, but I, I would say probably around about the middle of February to early to middle of February, um, I did make the choice to subconsult to a larger firm of a collective of BIM consultants uh, part-time. I did realize that as, as one person at BIM Guru, I could only cover so much ground. And whilst I could take on employees, I did look at the, the business manager role and say, uh, there's, there's just certain aspects of that that didn't appeal to me. Like I was too far away from the tools, uh, too far away from, you know, programming, things that really I was quite passionate about. Um, and, and, you know, whilst I could have probably, you know, taken on employees and trained them to be like me, uh, I sort of felt that I, I was probably better off joining a, an established collective that was already moving in a direction that I agreed with. Um, so I was quite uh, pleased to join um, a, a firm called BIM Consulting. They're literally called BIM Consulting. <laughs> and they're in, um, they're in Sydney. They work with a really large architectural firm, Architectus. 
um, with, with a lot of people I've known for quite a while now that I have a lot of respect for, um, that, that the manager of that firm, actually, he, he was the one that used to run the BIM course. So there was a lot of little sort of connections and benefits that came through through getting to know them better. Um, so yeah, I go in there two days a week and, and work as a sort of a lead computational designer uh, slash mentor slash, you know, general consultant. Um, and, and most likely will probably build up my time there, I would say, quite quite soon. Um, while still trying to juggle my YouTube, uh, some of my consulting, which I'm holding on to, and also developing a course platform and a few a few other avenues to keep me quite busy. Um, so that's probably that the biggest developments happened for me. Um, as well as that, you've probably seen uh, that my YouTube channel is still going. I think it's at fifteen thousand subscribers now, so it's going quite wow. well. Um, nice. So I'm seeing that that that's getting a, a lot more attention. I'm, I'm meeting a lot of people. Um, in the industry that, you know, I respect a lot, a lot of developers and programmers and even some architects that, that I wouldn't have expected to have got to know um, through there. And I guess um, uh, as a result of that, I've also, you know, been a bit more uh, willing to put out topics that are a little bit more controversial, uh, more opinion based. So I've put out a video uh, a few weeks ago that was sort of questioning the development cycles of, of Revit, um, which is a platform I use nearly on a daily basis. But I got to the point where I felt that I needed to express, um, you know, that we all have a lot of trouble managing the, not only the software, but the versioning, uh, non-backwards compatibility, um, you know, anti-competitive business practices. Um, so I sort of made a, made a video out of that. And as a result, I got to talk to a lot of Autodesk from, from that. Um, that was a really interesting experience. Um, and, and I guess there'll be some more videos coming soon on that. Um, so not, not necessarily negative videos, but more um, constructive videos, I would say. Um, and also, I've, I've you know made my own open letter uh, quite recently towards architects. So uh, for those that didn't know, um, a lot of architects actually built an open letter about maybe well, about half a year ago now, I think it was, maybe a bit more, um, directed towards Autodesk, um, essentially saying that they didn't agree with their business practices. They wanted to see Revit uh, further developed for their needs. They actually wanted to see it rewritten from the ground up. Um, good luck. <laughs> and then they also wanted to see a lot of other things from Autodesk as architects. And I sort of had to turn the letter around on them as architects and question how they operate in, in their own business practices and, and say, you know, the, 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 we have this saying that the pot is calling the kettle black, essentially, um, which is just saying, you know, like we're, we're just as bad as each other, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you first um, that, you know, the, the pot and the kettle are arguing and it's like, you're both the same color. Like it doesn't really matter. So, you know, we, we should get our own house in order before we start, you know, pointing fingers at, you know, fairly successful companies. Um, you know, Autodesk is a, a very profitable company. They're, they're making a lot of money. So they're, they're obviously doing something right. Um, but I guess they're just not necessarily working in, in our interests all the time. So, so there's sort of a few things that I've sort of been, been exploring probably over the last last few months. Um, and of course, consulting has been very successful. Um, I would say it's probably the, the most profitable year I ever had in my whole career by, by a long way, I'm pleased to say. Um, so it was, it was a great journey. Um, I had a lot of support. A lot of my clients found me through YouTube or LinkedIn. So I mean, I, I couldn't have done it without leading up to that point. Um, so yeah, it was really, um, really a quite a quite a fun year, I would say, actually, I got to you know, do a lot of research and development um, despite all the consulting work. Um, I won't lie, consulting rates are, are, are very nice compared to, you know, working in an office sometimes. So you can, you know, take a day off here and there and do some research. So, yeah, it was um, a really interesting year. My, my career's completely changed. Um, yeah, I guess I, that probably covers a few things we can probably probably segue to. <laughs> How about yourself, I guess? Um, what have you been sort of up to since, uh, since we spoke almost a year ago? Obviously, BIM Voice has taken off a lot. 
Mm. I'm just, uh, I just kept doing uh, the podcast. Mm. You know how many episodes you're up to now? Or what number are you up to? Must be past 100 mark, right? No, 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 no. I did not get really? it's only I'll once send you a week. On heaps of things, yeah. But it's it's only one once a week. So if I'm I don't have one year yet, so there is not uh, I, I did not reach fifty two yet. It must be close to fifty if you've almost done a year. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, I will publish on Saturday uh, the episode forty seven. So Fantastic. I'm getting yeah, I mean you go very in depth on your videos too, so I always appreciate how much editing time you must have Thank to you. do behind the scenes just to put all the content together as well and all the platforms you put it across to. So I, I really appreciate there's a lot of work behind that for you. Thank you very much. Actually, I have a video editor that is helping me, but yeah, I, I coordinate him. And uh, sometimes there is more uh, editing needed, sometimes not so much, depends on the guest and uh, yeah, on the topic. Uh, but um, it's been a life changing, this experience for me from many points of views. Uh, but the most important things here, uh, thing here is that I met wonderful people like you, like yourself, that I learned oh, a lot from. And I always have somebody that I can go and ask a direct question now and get yeah, an answer. How good is that, uh, right? That, that's so, that is so valuable that, to have that network available. It, it changes that you don't, you don't need to learn everything anymore, right? It's so good. You just you can focus on what you want to learn, but then you know a guy, you know a girl, they know what they know. And it's just, it's, it's like having a dictionary of people. I like to say sometimes it's, it's such an amazing thing. So I'm glad to hear you've sort of found that same benefit from this process uh, has, has found you as well. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and uh, apart from this, I'm, I'm working full time. I've been blessed to have work all the time during the pandemic since, uh, since the pandemic started, I did not have any problem with this. So uh, I've been very busy. So the podcast is still a, a side project for me. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, helping and inspiring me all the time to go further and try more. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it gives you a lot of different perspectives on, on future projects that you might be able to, to bring to the way that you deliver on future projects as well, I'm sure. Like there's a lot of new tools I've sort of came across that I, I try to introduce to my consulting here and there when it suits. Um, I was experimenting with Briscad BIM the other week and trying to see if I could just deliver something small using that. It was an interesting, interesting task I set myself. Um, I have found too that just um, sometimes, you know, just meeting different people that think in different ways sort of just unlocks different thought patterns in your own mind too, right? Where you start approaching problems in different ways. And I've definitely found when I talk to certain types of people on say Twitter, I go and focus on very different tasks after that. Like if I speak to the Dynamo developers or, or one of those big package managers, I tend to go and work my own package for a bit because I'm sort of just enthused by by their energy and that sort of passes on to me or, or if someone speaks to me about say like IFC I, I tend to jump onto OSArch and start reading up on the schemas a bit more and understanding that process more deeply so yeah it's been a it's a good way to sort of get inspired from other people I find too some of that enthusiasm rubs off um, I find yeah yeah especially in these times maybe before it was easier uh, to get around uh, right because this is another component actually here uh, the the social aspect yes outside of the work environment right because through this i had the opportunity to meet new people all the time and keep myself to learn always new things new aspects not only regarding bm but uh, also uh, regarding life right because yeah. everybody has a different uh, take on uh, on how they live and how they do things and it's been very nice to have this uh, variety uh, from the daily uh, routine 
waking up what is the, the, coming the, spice the of life, as they say so <laughs> yeah yeah i agree i mean it was interesting i guess um that you launched pretty much right when we were seeing a digital transformation in the industry and also communication through through what COVID forced us to do so um yeah it was a, it was an interesting time i think I was, I was glad i had the channel as well just as a way that i could outwardly, outwardly communicate with people uh when they weren't necessarily as easily accessible like i had a lot of um old colleagues that I didn't get to see for months and they said, oh, I've been watching your videos. So I still, you know, have a lot to talk to you about. And they'd, they'd you know, give me calls and ask me about tutorials I was doing. So it was a good way to just keep some, some activity going as well. And there's been good platforms like Discord. I've been using a fair bit of Discord with friends just to, um, just to keep, you know, a bit of chat going in the background and, you know, keep, keep social. So it's been good to see some of those, um, those platforms also give us a different, different ways to communicate during this time. Um, so yeah, it's been interesting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have excuses. We have so many tools out there only to use them, right? And many of them are free, free, free to use many, many of them, right? Speaking of, um, speaking of free tools, I'm glad to say since last time I spoke to you, I think we briefly spoke about editing software and what we use. Um, I'm glad to say all my editing software is now free. <laughs> really? Yeah, I broke away from Adobe, so no more Adobe. Um, I have the what free- What are you using? Uh, so I use DaVinci for movie editing. Um, love it's DaVinci. Perfect. It's amazing. <laughs> it, it's so much better than Adobe Premiere. Like I thought Adobe Premiere was good. And once I learned DaVinci, oh, it's, it's incredible. It's so much better. It's built for proper movie editing. Um, Adobe, I'm not sure what they built Premiere for. It feels really weird. It's looking back at it. It just doesn't seem to function the way it should. Um, so I was glad to, to use that. And then I found this really great Photoshop clone called Photopia. Um, which is a web-based Photoshop, essentially. So anywhere you go, you can you can open up this web-based version and no installation required. I, I have no idea how they legally do it, but it's been around since 2013. So I, I assume wow. there must have been some expiry on, on the intellectual property that Adobe reserved with a patent that must have expired um, because it's essentially just a, a, a slightly less um, feature-driven Photoshop, really. So um, I do all my editing on that. Um, InDesign, I just, I just made better templates in Word and just stepped away from InDesign in the end. Um, it, it was a bit hard because InDesign is a really good program. Um, I did, did look at Affinity um, for a while. The Affinity was, it, it was good. It just didn't quite capture some of the features I, I was trying. I know you were looking at Affinity for a while. I don't know if you stuck with that in the end or? I, I still have it. It's a, it's one time uh, fee license. So I still have it. But to be honest, I don't use it too much. You know what I use? I use Canva. Canva is my go-to tool. I, I did use, use Canva, Canva for, for a while. It's amazing. Uh, I did like Canva. Yeah, I think it was great. It's good if you have like a really solid brand that you can spread across a lot of different types of mediums. Um, so I did quite enjoy that for a while. I found eventually I just templated myself because I'm I'm a bit of a hopeless creative. I do like sometimes, you know, templating myself very, very in a very custom manner. And I found sometimes Canva sort of held my hand too much. But I did. It was great for, you know, creatives with not much time. I could see just why that platform was so successful. I think you actually recommended that one to me. So that was a really good... um. Good recommendation. Definitely recommend it for any other content creators watching that, you know, just need some some quick branding, quick graphics that, you know, work for all different platforms. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. And especially if you don't uh, have experience, uh, like a graphic designer, right? I don't have, I'm an engineer. I don't, I'm not an artist. And uh, you, you find a lot of uh, YouTube videos and uh, free courses to learn and use it. it it's, it's very, very easy. It's very, very easy. Yeah, yeah it was very well supported. I had to unsubscribe from their mailings. They were so helpful. They kept sending me tips um, every day, I think it was. And I said, oh, <laughs> too, too helpful. <laughs> but it's good to see that they're passionate and enthusiastic. Um, and I think for um, the only other free tool I really use for creative purposes is for PDF editing. I use um, PDF 24 
um, which I actually got as a result of working with the DRoots tools where they use PDF24 as their printing uh, engine. Um, and I found that was actually, it did most of the PDF functionalities I needed, like restricting access, combining PDFs, um, basic markups. And then I, I do, I use the free Acrobat reader just for general opening and viewing. Um, but yeah, that, that pretty much covered my creative suite. So I was glad to save about $800 a year. <laughs> so that, that was nice. I wish I'd done it from the start. I should have listened to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I just, I got rid of one bit and then I thought, oh, maybe I can get rid of this next bit. And it just became an addiction. And before I knew it, I was free. So, so that was a nice change. Think about that the next piece of this is going to be Blender Beam. I'm not sure. I don't know if it'll be Blender Beam or we haven't seen the platform yet. It's hard to say. I'm definitely open to another platform showing up that can replace uh, what I do right now. I think it'll be hard because I'm so entrenched in the way that Revit and Dynamo function that I've built my own sort of, and I've realized this over time that I've built my workflows around the tools to some degree, which makes it really hard to get out of them unless you sort of abandon the ways of thinking that you sort of built in your own head. And that, that's the challenge with closed BIM that you really do, you sort of build your own prison sometimes a little bit in terms of the way that you work. And, and a lot of firms, I, I understand why uh, they, they can't get themselves away from these platforms because they've built their object libraries, they've built their scripts, they've built all these proprietary tools that, that keep them there. Because if you, if you go away, that's it, they're gone. You invest so, invested so much time. Yeah, you invested so much time and, uh, and money in the people who maintain this, right? If somebody is uh, disappearing, who, who is maintaining? You need, yeah, it, like, like I've tried um, other closed platforms too, and it's the same challenge. Like I went to Archicad for a bit just to try it out. And, you know, all my objects are gone. I've got to learn GDL scripting just to build a chair. There were some huge, um, you know, changes in, in, yeah. you had to work there. Um, and I guess BlenderBim too is, is another challenge because I guess when you take everything away, BlenderBim is mostly a, and I don't want to oversimplify because I know Dion's going to come and send me hate mail if I do, but, but, um, but it's, uh, he's not that bad. I'm just joking. But, but um, I guess it's mostly like an information management tool is really what I got out of looking at BlenderBim, it was more about um, classifying and structuring the data tree and the p-sets and the elements um, to geometry in Blender. So a huge part of it was actually learning Blender itself and how to take advantage of Blender's offering as well. Um, so when I tried learning Blender, that was my stumbling point there that I wasn't actually very good using Blender uh, as it came. So, so that was my weakness. Um, I think I see a lot of cool things coming out of it though. Um, so maybe that might be the next big platform. Who knows? It's 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 hard to say. Um, I guess you know funding, like we like we know, is a challenge they're they're currently tackling. So so it could be interesting to see if um if it keeps going in the way it's going. Um, there's definitely more people that are getting on the open BIM train now. That's for sure. I see a lot more talk about it. So um, it's good to see, and a lot of it's come through you know what you've done as well. You've raised a lot of good awareness for for open BIM and the and the merits and the benefits. So and I I, I'm so. definitely a lot more open to it than I used to be. I'll, I'll be honest, definitely. Yeah, I mean, when we first spoke, I don't think I was very, very open to open, um, I guess you could say. Um, but I, I do see the benefit and the need for it sometimes, especially uh, I've been using Grasshopper for Rhino a lot lately. And whilst, you know, they're not really open platforms, um, I've been using the Ladybug tool suites a lot. And I've come to appreciate, uh, you know, what, what the Ladybug tools team managed to do by leveraging a lot of open libraries like Radiance and Daysim and some of those tools that, that you, they just couldn't have done what they did without. Um, so it's definitely, you know, it's, it's, it's worthwhile. I can see the benefit, whether the whole industry is going to be open. I'm, I'm never sure if that's going to be the case. I, uh, unless we can reframe the competitive nature of the industry, I'm not sure if it's feasible. Um, no, but there's no, definitely no, no, a, no. a different way of working. Mm. That, that won't happen uh, anytime soon. Uh, and uh, that's not the goal. 
That's not the goal. The point is to have alternative for who wants to try alternatives. That's the problem. Yeah. We don't have. We don't yeah, have any. Sure. And I'm not saying, like, please uh, understand uh, correctly what I'm saying. Blender Beam right now is not an alternative. It is not by far, by any means, an alternative because it's still alpha uh, version. But I'm, I'm saying, like, it has very good principles that is built open. Like, everything is built around open, right? And accessible for everybody, yeah. right? And, and that's what matters, I guess. So I agree with you. The, the, the foundations of the platform are the important thing to get right first. Um, so I totally appreciate that when we look at Blender Beam, we, we shouldn't be looking at it like the next Revit. We should be looking at it like the, the concept that might lead to the next platform or the next movement, the next the new way of managing data. It might not just be a modeling platform. It might be a, a database platform. It could emerge into something very different. Um, and like just like you know, Revit started as a, an idea in someone's head, you know, so so does Blender Beam. It's like they all start somewhere. So so I've always always appreciated that you know when you when you look at these platforms, it can be difficult to compare them. Um, to you know, very mature platforms that you know didn't necessarily have the best foundations. I'll, I'll say, like with Revit, for example, I wouldn't say that necessarily had the best foundations. Um, in the, a lot of the API and the code is very hard to work with behind the scenes, from what I know. Um, but at the same time, I do appreciate they are being very, very careful and, and calculative with um, how they start off uh, Blender BIM, just just under the understanding that I guess it will potentially grow into something that has to be quite well-founded because it is an open source movement, I guess. So it has to be, you know, pure to the core, I guess, because people will have access right down to the, the bare bones. So so I think it's um it's it's definitely at the very least, even if it's not the future platform, it's definitely got people thinking in a different way. And I think that's maybe the most valuable thing that it will do, um, just to reframe how we look at, at software and, and process and, and um, collaboration and, and, you know, why we choose the platforms we, we do. Yeah, so I think that's maybe maybe the most valuable thing it gives the industry, if anything. And like I said, uh, I don't know if by the end of this year, uh, DN will have a beta version, uh, but uh, when it's going to be a beta version, that will mean that they actually will recommend, like uh, it could be used in production. Right now it's not recommended. Like you need to learn Blender, like you said, right? That's not uh, easy. Uh, or it might be easy, but uh, for an AAC professional, that's not uh, the goal to learn a new program, to be able to use another tool, right? Like it's learning yeah, two yeah. different softwares. It's not that's, not, that's not the aim. But uh, now they try to build up on the, the most core uh, concepts. And after that, uh, they will work more on uh, on the interface and make it more user-friendly. Yeah, sure, yeah. That's, that's, I think that's the that's right the choice. Afterwards. You build the, build the tools that the developers can play with and then and then open it up to a more um, general user base and in, in more friendly user interfaces and packaged elements that they can they can use. So I think they're they're doing it the right way. Um, I think I think they're they're guarding that guarding it to some degree to make sure that it is, you know, functional down to its core. So I do appreciate they are moving something very heavy, which is the AAC industry as well. Um, you know, you're not going to turn the industry around tomorrow or in ten years or maybe even in fifty. It could be a big movement they're starting here that's going to take a while to move. Um, but I, I guess too, I also appreciate that probably that the, the audience of such a platform is probably not going to be people like me. It's probably going to be like you know new graduates that haven't used the platform before and actually can learn something in a particular way. Because like I said, I'm, I'm a bit of a prisoner to my own thinking, my own my own thought patterns that I've developed for ten years. Um, I can only turn them around so far before I go. Oh, it's just too much easier to do it this way, even though I can't turn it into a valid IFC or something like that. So I know the limitations, but at the same time, I can still you know, drive the product to a point that, that works for my clients. So, so that, that is my challenge, but I guess I have at least tried to make a lot of my students aware of these sort of, um, 
these avenues that are available to them just before they go and you know dive too far into one platform or or one way of thinking or yeah so that that's probably the biggest opportunity i see i see available for their target market um if if they if they have one if i'm not sure if they have a very specific target market yet i'm sure it's still quite quite broad um but but that that probably is maybe the the early adopters i guess if anything would would seem to me to be students or graduates or potentially just blender experts that want to put their skills together with something that can can achieve an AAC output. The thing is, like uh, like you said, uh, using uh, many different tools, like Blender Beam works very well, or uh, Blender works with uh, with Ladybug, tools like Ladybug. Yeah, I saw they've got an integration now for that. I don't know if you are aware about, but they have also, there is also uh, an add-on called Zverchok, with, uh, which is yes, uh, yes. an yeah, alternative to Dynamo, well. right? So you have mm, all yeah, these Yeah, it's tools. a visual coding tool. Svetchok is very um very impressive. Uh, I spent some time watching some of the content on it. Whilst I can't really use Blender very well myself, I do try to watch some of the um the, the learning content or the um the demonstrations that they do just to understand what it's capable of. So if I do meet someone that says, "Hey, I want to use Blender and I don't know how to use it," I say, "Well, you know, if you like computation, go to Svetchok first, and you might find context in the tools that way." So it's very impressive what they've built on top of you know a very open engine to begin with. Like I. I do have to commend them. I can see a lot of passion in the project. Um, you know, not just Dion, but other people really pushing away at you know the capabilities of that program. Um, I think Blender itself was a really interesting uh, programming movement of sorts in the first place. That really, and I'm sure you, you sort of told me that as well when we first spoke about it um, a while ago. You could already see the writing on the wall. So, um, so I think it's uh, it's definitely a, you know intriguing uh, platform with a lot of different add-ons and, and concepts packaged in there that I really respect. So. Yeah, I think um, I think there's definitely potential there. I, I do wonder if maybe it might not just be really a an AEC benefit, like AEC is sort of one very small piece of the puzzle that it unlocks. Like, I mean, like Rhino too. Rhino is really a platform that only serves maybe AEC is uh, I'd say maybe 20, 30% maybe is their client base, I'm guessing. They have like jewelry designers and boat designers and all sorts of alternative markets that they're serving. And and maybe Blender BIM might might go beyond architecture and, and engineering and construction as well. It might it might represent something bigger. I did not think about that. Since the they, well, they I always wonder because I guess like AUC is only a small part of the global um, the global production cycle. There's there's probably industrial design opportunities as well. Maybe not with the IFC component, but just that that way of thinking of putting data in geometry in an engine that doesn't necessarily function. As, as a metadata container originally. Like I've been using Rhino a lot lately with Rhino inside. And one thing I do quite often is I pass Revit models through as very raw geometry, but then I inject all the data into the objects so I can cross-reference them between the two environments. And I essentially turn Rhino into a BIM environment um, where I can take advantage of the BIM data in, a, in an engine that can handle highly complex geometry and analysis, which Revit just would, would crash um, doing so, I, I see that maybe that that might be another thing that Blender BIM exposes um, in, in a platform where data isn't necessarily the focus initially. Yeah, we we will see. First, uh, the the objective is to be a, to be some a tool. I think, uh, from my own understanding, is to be a tool that people can use it professionally as well and individuals as well. How good is going to be, we will see. But this is the the purpose. This is the goal to be to have something uh, a free alternative. Aside of uh, Blender Beam, uh, there there are other tools. I don't know if you, um, you are aware about other open source tools, uh, but I had uh, not long ago the founder of uh, IFCJS, uh, which is oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I watched a little bit of that one actually. I do remember 
um, hearing a little bit about that, it was quite intriguing, um, just some of the the integrations and the opportunities that the data scheme is finding in, in, in various platforms and, and ways of looking. I mean, I've looked at things like IFC OpenShell as well and different ways of handling the schema. And I think um, obviously, you know, JS is a, a very promising environment in a lot of ways, um, you know, not just IFC, there's a lot of, you know, web focal uh, integrations that I'm seeing in the industry. I mean, a lot of people use like um, uh, Node.js and they're, they're trying to find integrations with, with our platforms because obviously the sooner we can get all this data on the web, the, the, the more accessible it's going to be and the, the easier it's going to be to connect all our projects. So, yeah, there's definitely some some interesting things it offers. And, and I am teaching my students that the future of data management is the web. Um, there's no doubt about it. It has to be where our data is going to end up going. In most cases, we're already seeing cloud platforms emerging. Um, we're just not necessarily seeing clouds where everything works together. Um, you know, we're still seeing like data dumping environments, I think. Like BIM 360, for example, is, is it's a bit of a data dump sometimes. Um, but then we're seeing some people working on platforms that try to convert data types. I, I know there's um, there's a guy called John, Jonathan Egan. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen his work before, but um, he, he's building an, an integration that I, I think is potentially sitting over Aconex. Um, I forget the name of it. Uh, it's BIM, BIM Launcher, I think it was, um, where he's trying to get um, various various file formats to communicate fairly openly with each other through through data schema mapping and, and all sorts of um, black magic behind the scenes. Um, so I definitely see that, that the future is going to be platforms that can essentially hold data in, in a more contained way, a, a federated way. I guess the, the federated model is no longer just a big Navisworks model dumped out at the end of the project. It's something more meaningful, um, yeah. which then leads to a meaningful digital twin opportunity as well, I guess. That, that, that's where I see the future of really you know project, project setting. Well, it's still not there, but we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another tool that uh, I recently had the pleasure to, uh, like it was in the last episode, actually, uh, it's uh, Speckle. Uh, did you hear okay, about Speckle? Speckle? Yeah, I've, I've seen it? a little bit about Speckle. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, it's a concept I appreciate. I mean, the main context I've used it in is I've seen it used um, in, in Rhino and Grasshopper to essentially simulate a work-shared environment between the web. So actually working on the same model um, through like a cross, cross uh, on the web that essentially sends commands back and forth between separate files to simulate a, a, a joint environment. And I see, I see a lot of other uses for it as well and essentially just passing data through the web to do various things on, on lots of ends of platforms that, that don't necessarily naturally connect to one another. Um, I think it's very impressive. I think, I think what they need and what a lot, of, a lot of other platforms like them need is a, like a lower entry point for people to, to engage with the platforms. That's one of their challenges that I noticed that sometimes you, you almost need to be a programmer to appreciate uh, the beauty of what their platforms can really do. Um, sometimes it's hard for a, an everyday user to look at it and go, oh, I can see what to do with this straight away. Um, you almost need someone to tell you like, these are the things you can do with it. This is how it's going to save you time. Um, and these are the skills you need in order to even consider using the platform. Like you might need basic Python, you might need basic C plus. Then there might be some programming requirements to get into it as well. Um, other platforms like Hyper as well, like that they're, they're similar. Um, that there's like an entry level that isn't necessarily for everyone. Um, so I think that's probably just the, the main, I guess, um, challenge. I would say those platforms face, and maybe those platforms are happy to have a higher entry point. Maybe they don't want everyone to use the platform. It's it's one of those things where. Maybe it's like you're either with us or you're not. Like that, that might be their mentality sometimes. Just because. No, I don't think that. I I, I believe is. I don't think with Speckle. I think Speckle is pretty happy to let everyone follow them. Um, some platforms like Hyper, I think the narrative they spin is more like 
you know, you can come with us if you want, but we're not going to lower the, the the capability of the, the software um, to to make it easier to use. We're going to have to still, you know, have a level of sophistication in the software that does require some technical capability to to work with. Um, and that's always a hard balancing act to to manage in in any platform, I guess. Um, you can't lower lower the curve any lower than to to keep the software functional, I guess. Um, so that sometimes I notice that is one of the challenges with with these platforms, I guess. And, but there's a lot that they offer. Yeah. Is Hyper an open source tool? I'm not, uh, I, I don't know what they do. I believe it's open source. I know it's not free, but I guess, um, as we all know, open source doesn't necessarily mean open cost. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's a sure. subscription platform. And from what I can see, people are contributing native code to the platform. Um, I'm not sure if the, the way that it's actually passing that code into the platform is open. Um, I'll probably have to research that a little bit more to understand it. But it does receive a lot of different uh, code schemas, I guess. I, I know there's a, there's a good connection I have called um, uh, Wasam Yabi, who works at a place called Topologic. And he's built his engine into nearly every platform I've ever seen. It's amazing how flexible um, his thinking is. And I know he's built an integration for, um, for Hyper, I believe. Um, if not, he's definitely built one for Blender. Um, I know he's been doing a lot of work with that, um, but I think he was potentially doing Hyper as well, which makes me think that the source must be at least um, exposed to some degree to be able to to talk that deeply to it. Um, so yeah, I would, I would, I'd be surprised if it wasn't um, open source, um, just based on the work that I see people doing with it and, and the depth that they're able to go through. Um, but there's definitely like an entry level for, for that platform in that you need to know some code to to really contribute meaningfully towards it and get it to do what you want. Yeah, but it's um definitely interesting. I will definitely check it out and it might be worth um trying to uh, see if you can actually get Anthony Huack on here, the, 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 the lead on that job. I've spoken to him before and he's, he's a deep thinker. I think he'd be really interesting to to talk to about this and he's got his own sort of opinions on the industry as well um, on, on some of the challenges and, and the inefficiencies and I think he'd definitely align with your thinking as well. So yeah, maybe one to look at in future as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, of course, and of you, course. You probably know. Yeah, I don't know if you know all the people on the team there, but they've also got um, Ian Kyo, the, the developer of Dynamo. So they've got some pretty pretty smart minds on there, and they've got a guy called Andrew Human, who's a really well known on Grasshopper developer. Um, so yeah, there's some pretty um pretty interesting people on that job. It seems like they've got the right people, um, for sure. And now they're just sort of collecting the right users, and and off they go from there. So it's an interesting movement for sure. It's definitely a movement. That's probably what I call it, not just the platform. Yeah. Which is, I guess, what we need to really make things work. It can't just be a tool that we play with. It has to be a be a concept, a process, something different. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. There's a lot of interesting movements happening around in the industry right now and a lot of interesting arguments, debates on Twitter about these sorts of things as well that I, I like to jump in from time to time. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I forgot to mention something. Last time uh, I asked you something, not during the interview, but afterwards, I guess, what tool are you sure. using for um, productivity or project management? And you, you told me Notion. Uh, I don't know how you are using Notion, but now my life, it's going through Notion. I don't do anything without running it through Notion. Everything is in Notion, you know? So I don't know how you use it. It took me some months to, to learn how to use it and to find a good system because it doesn't have a built-in system already that you like other pro project you management use the tools. the free version or the premium version? No, I have the, I have the, the premium Full now. version, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, but but I mean like uh, you don't have a fixed uh, uh, structure that you follow. Yeah, uh, this is it's the very way flexible. You do. Yeah, exactly. And the flexibility, it's it's a plus and a huge minus for the beginners because you don't yes. know how to start. You don't know what is yeah, best. Exactly. So it the took program me many, almost many demands the user has an organizational level in their head already structured, and Notion is just the canvas to to put it on. Essentially, that that's how I approached it as well. So um, I don't use it as frequently these days because I found I was getting a little bit too obsessed with Notion in that, like like you said, everything suddenly it, it, it's work and then suddenly it's also YouTube and then it's also personal and suddenly you've got a board for everything. And uh, I, I sort of found the contagion was serious. Like you could really start organizing yourself to the point where you don't have time to do anything except organize your time. <laughs> and, then, and I had to pull back a little bit. So I keep a lot of my... A lot of my um, high-level um, management systems on there, so my future plans for YouTube, um, you know, my collaborations coming up, so I keep a lot of scheduling on there. So when I've got things like podcasts, I usually store them on Notion just to remind myself of what's coming up, and I, I check it out usually on a daily or a second second day basis just to keep myself up to my own speed. Um, but I, I find I have a lot of sort of subtle subsystems in a lot of the programs I used that somehow just all seem to work together. So like with my business, like the first thing I did is I invented a very uh, customized client and job numbering system just to keep on top of everything through like delimited data. Um, and as a result, I could build some batch scripts just to auto file and auto retrieve files if I needed to for a particular job. So I have naming conventions for files. And as a result, I can actually draw on a lot of data very predictably and grab emails very easily if I need to look for them. Um, so, and, and the same with my Outlook. My, my Outlook is heavily organized, almost like a little mini Notion board. Um, there's a lot of folders, subfolders, uh, filing rules for particular clients. So I sort of built a lot of those systems into my own programs as well. Um, and I always recommend other people do that if they're a technical consultant. Um, there's almost no excuse not to build those technical systems into your workflows because you're sort of practicing what you preach. Um, in that if, if you can't manage your own workflows, how can you manage another client's workflows, right? Um, that, that's sort of like the thing. If, if your own house isn't tidy, then you can't really go and clean someone else's. So so I think um, that that helped me as well. But Notion became a more high-level mechanism for me eventually because I was very granular. I was going to the point of, um, you know, putting things like invoicing structures on there just to find out what I wanted to build a fee up of. And now I just go on zero and I build draft invoices. And like, so I store things in more um, direct ways, I guess. Um, so I found zero is brilliant. Like I, I, I remember before I used zero, it was a nightmare. Um, just trying to stay on top of manual invoices, putting it all in Excel. Um, it was ridiculous. Um, but now most of that, I just manage in zero instead. Um, but, but Excel and manual is just not the way to go. Any any business, I recommend zero day one or, or my or whatever whatever cost management platform Every you want to tool, use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every uh, accounting tool. There are so many nowadays, so it's yeah, it's uh, yeah, and, really... and they're not too expensive. They're they're like fifty dollars no. a month most of them, and that's pretty reasonable for what they do. Um, so that that's been great. Um, Wix has been great for managing my store. Like, there's a pretty good um, store integration behind the scenes, which lets me do a lot of marketing campaigns and um, also just track my finances there as well. Um, and I use Stripe to put all my payments together in one place. So I found that sort of manages my admin for me. And then, and then um, Notion has just become a, an ideas board, I guess, just to keep me on, on track or just to put ideas down so I don't forget them later on, I guess. But, but I did used to be very deep on Notion, lots of checklists with tick boxes. And I find now it's more like a notepad um, the way I treat it. 
Whereas originally I was putting little checklists on there and I was like 87% complete on this job because I'd finished seven out of eight tasks. And now I, I know where I'm at now as a sole trader. I just track myself and I have like a rough brief with the client and that's usually how I track myself instead. So I've sort of pulled back to some more traditional uh, methods in some aspects just because I guess you sort of double up the effort if you try to capture it all in Notion as well. Um, but I can definitely understand the contagion of um, organizing yourself to death <laughs> essentially actually a notion um I, I know like there's a guy called um aaron maller at um parallax as a consultant and sometimes i see his notion boards on twitter and that they're intense like this guy is like he's like the notion king i reckon <laughs> um so i do i can see a lot of people do benefit from it um but just different different ways of thinking i guess suit so different different quantities of different management systems so so, so for some of some of my systems are rely on automation to some degree, I guess, but in that there's a bit of design and thinking that maybe, you know, sometimes a board like Notion might capture more simply for someone that just wants to have a solution from day one and, and move on. Yeah. So but but I, I sort of enjoy enjoy designing those systems too. It's a little there's a little bit of um insanity in there, I guess, in designing these crazy systems that no one would understand from the outside. Um, but I guess on the inside they work. So <laughs> yeah, which is definitely my filing system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I completely understand your point. And if you get to that point where you just need to use that tool to work for the sake of organizing things, so that that's not good. I got into the same thing, like using way too much time to organize and I could not get things done. So I zoomed out a little bit. Yeah. And uh, what I do now mostly, what I use Notion for is to capture, capture ideas, everything I capture, I put in there. After that, I process and organize those things but I don't go very, very granular. And the last thing I do is to track things. I track yes. my progress, and I, but, but not like 1% or 2%, no. I run my daily routine through that with checkboxes every day. When I wake up, I, I, uh, create a, I have a template for a daily routine and I just create a new day right there and uh, check the boxes I did or not. It and at the end track, of month, yeah. I'm uh, reviewing and see, did I, did I train enough this uh, month? Did I eat... Uh, healthy uh did i uh did uh, all the other things that i had yeah, there? i think that's a great way to use it just to keep yourself balanced and, and in check um I, I knew a friend that used it and he almost um he almost wrote his routine into it and never changed it but he was failing every month to keep it up and i said well use that as a sign to adapt your routine like it's, it's a tool that's meant to also feed back to your own your own life and, and it's meant to help you better shape your own your own regiment and it's not just a you know i failed i didn't meet my goals but i'll try again next month it's more like oh, i'm just i guess being my own my own um my own advocate i guess you know figuring out what works for me and, and i think it was good for that for me to keep me in check to some degree especially as a sole trader because i don't have a partner in business that can tell me if i'm you know way off track and i'm just wasting all this time somewhere so it's good to have that tool that can say hey you just you wasted like you know x hours last month just on not meeting x tasks and instead you focus too much on this board or this this area um it definitely helped me one month when i got very focused on youtube um and and did some consulting but i could definitely see a notion that my productivity had definitely shifted um in there but then as a result i didn't do any youtube for the next two months because I, I built my schedule up so heavily um so it was an interesting way to sort of look at that give and take sort of relationship between the, the aspects of my life as well um sort of juggling those pieces and making it all work together yeah yeah because if you if you organize it too well it's becoming too daunting like you you like you get to a point where uh, you 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 get burned out by that doing that exactly oh burnout's real yeah 
I would say I burnt out easily at least twice in the last year just through putting myself under too much pressure um, or just over managing myself um, to the point where I was just I was either working too much or well, it wasn't working smart and was sort of digging myself into corners and, and, and you know, not, not having an escape route through managing myself more, more carefully. So um, I've definitely found a much more balanced way of holding it all together. And things like Notion definitely helped um, for sure. But just having a way to look back at yourself and, and critique yourself um, through those sort of tools, it's, it's super valuable. So I'm glad to hear you sort of found use in that as well. I don't know if you read the book Essentialist. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I would definitely recommend you to read that book. It, it will definitely... Uh, Come, send a link to me sometime like it. with it. Yeah. I'll do it. I'll Check do it. It. Uh, it. It's very, very nice book. I've been book. to reading your book lately, so that could be a good one to, good one to jump into. I think it's, it's more sort of, sort of about personal and time and life management. or. Yes, maybe. But uh, actually, uh, what is uh, this about is uh, how to focus on, on the things that matter, that can have the biggest impact. And instead of uh, what, what do we do? What, what do I do and what most of us do? Uh, we say way too, many, too much yes. Yeah, I want to embark on that project as well. I can do that as well. I can do that as well. And you, have, you, you end up doing a little bit in each project. A little bit here, a little bit, little bit, little bit. Here, the, this book uh, teaches you, teach you how, how to focus on something that you, you just ignore everything else. Take the thing that can have the biggest impact on your life. And do that, and you will go up like a rocket into the space. That's yeah, the, well, that approach. sounds actually like what I need right now. So that sounds like a great book. Um, I, I, I must say, I'm, I'm sort of proud and ashamed to say that I've responded to every single comment on YouTube so far. <laughs> I don't have a single unanswered comment, and and I also have never, I don't think I've ever ignored a Gmail from my YouTube as well. So like, there's definitely aspects of my life that I do need to layer that prioritization onto. I can see those aspects building up and going, okay, eventually I am just gonna have to ignore people and you know, it, it's, it's a real you thing. You get to a yeah. point, you get to a point now as the your YouTube channel is growing where it's just impossible. Like you will need to do only that all the time and you cannot do that. You either will hire somebody to do that if it makes sense, but if it doesn't make you any money, so yeah, you need to check yourself. Is yeah, it, yeah. Well, that, that really book sounds actually very valuable um, on that basis. So I, I'm, I'm glad you recommended it because I was actually thinking of pursuing something along those lines quite soon, just to just 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 to motivate myself to be a little bit more mean sometimes. <laughs> it's a it's a very 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 good book. I read it last year during uh, the pandemic time when the pandemic started, and uh, I'm reading it right now, and uh, I'm going through it again. And it's uh, I'm not only going through it; I'm also applying it. I try to focus on the things that uh, matter most and uh, to cut the noise and uh, focus on the, the most impactful things. I think we, we can uh, round up. If, we, if there is some we forgot to cover, uh, please. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe the, to... the, the plight of the architect, I wouldn't mind touching on the open letter yeah, rhetoric sure. there and the challenge our yeah. industry is facing. Share, and what do we you want do. to share the screen and uh, go um, to, yeah, to the article? Uh, or I, don't, just I don't mind maybe just ideas. referencing. I might just reference the article and then okay. they, can, they can work from there. So um, I guess one last thing before we round up, um, um, having learned some, some great things tonight about books I can read and some things going on in your side of the world, um, um, uh, there, there was an open letter I think I referenced earlier um, that I directed back towards architects in response to their, their Autodesk-focused letter. And I wasn't necessarily defending Autodesk, um, but I guess I was sort of um, questioning architects' integrity as well um, as a profession. Uh, especially from an inward perspective. So how do we behave competitively towards each other? Um, because a lot of the, the the rhetoric they used in the letter to Autodesk actually referenced things like 
anti-competitive behavior and uh, you know things 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 like that non-transparency and and the open na nature of our industry well not not really um is a good example of maybe you know that we're really just sort of pointing fingers in the wrong direction and we need to begin by fixing some of the challenges we're facing which might then you know give us more focus as an industry to actually look at the outward facing problems as well yeah um so one of those big problems which we see in australia um, is the fees are very low on projects for architects um, because we spend so long trying to lower our fee to win the project. Um, and that's the only competitive edge a lot of companies give the client. And, and often that's the only competitive edge the clients care about too because of what the industry has turned itself into. Um, that I guess like that, that that's Tight one of the, the things that I'd want to see. If, yeah, exactly. Race to the bottom. So I was sort of questioning whether there's a need for like a regulator just to step into the industry like a say like our architectural associations that are meant to represent our industry and regulate the fees and say that you shall not go lower than X on a project of this value, or this is just the fee that you go on based on project value. It's just a given rule. And your competitive edge when you're bidding against someone is just based on your value add from a design perspective, from a cost management perspective for the project budget, but you still go in on the same fees. You're not competing on the basis of price. Um, sort of like how architects used to work, I guess. Say go back three hundred years, three hundred years. We we were craftsmen. We weren't, or we were, we were guiding craftsmen in a project. We weren't necessarily just saying, I, "I'm, you know, ten stones cheaper than that guy, so go with me." They were saying, "Look at this amazing design that I can draw for you, and this is what we're going to do for you." It's a different, different way of sort of framing, you know, what makes architects valuable. Um, so I sort of question in the article whether we need, you know, someone really to step in and just crack the whip on us. And I, I know engineers have similar challenges when they're when they're bidding, bidding against each other on projects and, you know, what do they define as their competitive edge and their competitive value? And, and sometimes cost is, you know, the, the, the biggest thing, I guess, that the companies use to, to, to outbid out each other or, or underbid each other, I should say. So, so I think that's um, a huge problem that I guess I'm hoping we see some movement on quite soon before the industry digs itself, you know, so deep that we just can't build our reputation out of that, that hole that we've dug. Um, and then, you know, things like software licensing might not look so expensive, I guess, <laughs> you know, once we um, have reasonable fees that we can justify to our clients. And, and using our software in more creative ways is obviously a way to make that fee more justifiable as well. If we return efficiency to the client, um, you know, obviously we're working more efficiently, but the client's getting better results before the money they pay as well. So I'm noticing that sometimes the quality is also going down of the service that clients are given because the fee's so low that the firm can't afford to give them high quality service. So sometimes it's not even in the client's interest to have um, low fees uh, in the industry because they don't really get what they paid for, that they get, um, you know, promises, but not necessarily results, I guess, um, out of it. So it's just a, a sort of a way to look back at our industry rather than just point fingers at Autodesk and other big companies that are actually quite successful and making a lot of money because they do have, um, you know, intelligent business practices and yeah. they, they, they know how to work. They, they know how to get clients to do what they want and, and, and work with them in ways that are beneficial, sometimes beneficial for both parties. I'm not saying Revit's the, the best program in the world by any means, um, but just that they do know how at least to, to, to market and, and to, to do it well and also to, to set up a business that I guess covers unique services that, that aren't necessarily just marketed on the, on the basis of low cost. I mean, I, I think we'd agree most Autodesk um, products and services are definitely not marketed on the basis of low cost. So, um, so it's just, a, it's interesting to watch the, watch the architects, I guess, point the finger at a, at a business that if we had the, the business model of, we wouldn't be writing open letters for, <laughs> we'd, we'd just be 
laughing to the bank and saying, we don't need to write a letter. Everything's great. So, um, so I sort of write the letter just to sort of poke a bit of fun at that, that challenge that we're facing and that maybe the solution comes from within, I guess. If you ask me, it's a very naive uh, thing to do. It's very naive to wait for a company that's, uh, that you are paying uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, dollars every year or even millions in case of bigger uh, practices, right? And that earns a few billion dollars every year, having, has in revenue, right? To expect that they, they will just try to listen to some uh, uh, crying uh, kids uh, outside. In yeah, the, in yeah, the world. yeah. It sort of it sort of came across that way. If you want, if you want to do something, like if you want to change your life, what do you do? Do you go and write a letter to the bank or somewhere, some place to to change? Your, no, you do something yourself. If you want to do something, either do something like look. Find a project like now it's very easy to get Blender Beam as an example because we know about it, right? But let's yeah, say sure. Blender Beam is not there. Talk with the other 20 uh, architectural companies and instead of uh, take 10% of that budget you pay annually to Autodesk and build a yeah, team, build a team to build the software or exactly. throw, throw 2% of that amount of money to Blender Beam and see where Blender Beam is going to be in two years. And, and what's your you have yeah, yeah. So that was right? sort of one of my That's arguments in the letter I made that you as well. Can do, right? that, that, that is something that you can do. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much one of my arguments I made as well, that you can't expect things to change if you don't actually, you know, put any recipe in to change with if you're just doing the same thing and hoping it gets a little bit better each year, or if you just want another program to come along that's Revit but cheaper, you know, you're not looking in the right place. Like, I think my favorite quote that I put in there, because you've read my articles and you know I like putting little sayings and quotes in there just that sound cool. Like, it's almost like the lines you use in a debate to have the tagline. And I said, um, Autodesk gave you the shovel, but you did the digging. So, like, it's sort of like, you know, like, we, we still made our own decision to put ourselves where we are as firms and, and in the industry. So we can't necessarily expect the people that made the shovel, you know, to go and make us a better shovel that's just going to dig us even deeper or dig us sideways. We need to climb out of the pit to really solve our problems. Um, yeah, Come on, it, let's it's, be it's hard, isn't it? It's... They, they, like any other business, it's not like Autodesk is a devil. Like, uh, like if they weren't there, maybe our industry would have not been so advanced with the tools, right? They, oh, they, sure. they have yeah, a huge yeah. contribution, positive con contribution, right? But it's your fault, yeah, my fault that we choose to have a dominant product in our lives, in our industry, right? We should yeah, yeah. invest if you uh, don't I think invest Autodesk, some Autodesk time. Like, they've lost their way. They've sort of lost their way in some aspects, but they definitely have made some really big contributions. I mean, even like the the, the integration of IFC into architecture, I know that they were a very early um, collaborator in that area, even though they haven't necessarily seen it through in all their platforms now. Um, and DWG as well, they were huge in, the, in that process of establishing a a more or less open drawing format as well. So, so there's definitely a lot that they've contributed. So I do find it frustrating when I do see um, companies or individuals saying, oh, you know, Autodesk is the enemy, they're, they're, they're terrible. It's like, oh, they're a corporation. I mean, there's always going to be challenges with a corporation. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if it's that bad, then walk away and try something else. Because I mean, I have seen some firms trying um, Briscad BIM. Um, as an alternative, I believe HOK might be using it from what I've heard um, from a few people. Um, no one from HOK, so I don't know if it's true, um, but I know at least they've got a, from what I've heard, they've got a department of users that are trying that on projects to escape the, the Autodesk ecosystem to some degree. Um, so there's definitely um, some firms that seem to have walked in the right direction. Um, one, one thing I 
really noticed on the open letter as well as it was all architects. And I was like, why didn't they let engineers talk as well? <laughs> it would have been a, a lot, a lot more meaningful to, to capture the, the aspects of AEC. The, the work, yeah. the law. Yeah, too, too <laughs> focused inwardly. So, so my point was we're, we're so focused inside the industry that we sort of lose that bigger picture sometimes as well. And then we think it's just all about Revit. And it's like, well, actually, there's a lot of other programs out there as well. And, and you know, like the, the engineering features in Revit are even worse than the architecture ones. So, you know, there's, there's so many ways you can look at the problem. And I felt like they picked such a narrow perspective to look at it through that it almost reflected how, how I guess, lost architects have become in, in BIM and, and, and just the modern business practices that they, they exercise. So, um, and there's lots of great firms out there. I'm not saying architects are all terrible. Um, just that on average, I find most companies don't, they don't understand how to be competitive anymore or how to be creative or innovative or disruptive or take risks. They seem to follow the, follow the pack rather than, you know, lead, lead new concepts. So hopefully there's, there's more, more firms that are willing to, to take risks on those new platforms um, rather than just write letters and, and wait, <laughs> I guess is sort of what, what I saw their strategy as being. We'll send you a letter and then we'll just sit here and keep doing what we're doing and hopefully you'll come and solve our problem for us with, with all the money that you've made out of us. And I don't think that's going to happen somehow. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's, that's something like, um, like if you don't take action for a change, for a thing to happen in the way you want it to happen, somebody else will decide for you. That, that, that's going to happen. Like if exactly, you want a yeah. change, you need to decide for yourself. <laughs> don't wait for, uh, for somebody else because somebody else will decide for his own benefit, not for your own. Yeah, exactly. I do sort of wish like with the open letter, I feel like they missed a big opportunity as well, that it could have been worded more like a threat and less like a whine. Um, I think it would have made much more meaning and impact as a threat, saying that we as an industry will choose platforms to move towards collectively, like whether it's on a joint venture project or we're just going to all unanimously say, let's all move away from X program to Y program and see if we can move that hard. It would have had a lot more meaning, I think, in that case. They're then just saying, oh, we wish Revit was better and we wish that it used more processes. And it's like you're limiting your vision so so much here um, to a small vision. So I hopefully hopefully we'll see some more meaningful dialogue come of that. But but I guess too, I have um as a result of that letter, I have got to see some more um, things from Autodesk, which obviously I can't go into full detail because non-disclosure agreements, etc. But um but I have seen some positive movements that that letter did at least seem to accelerate behind the scenes, um, things that we haven't necessarily seen yet. Um, some things we have, such as some, some slightly improved IFC compliance out of the export, um, but there are some, some quite exciting things I think we might see that might actually give, give Revit a fair bit of relevance, hopefully, for a while longer. Um, but at the same time, I do, I do appreciate that I think there's definitely a need for, for more, I guess, programs that can interoperate. Um, that is one, one, one challenge I think we're always going to face with Revit, that you can't just import an IFC easily and get it out easily. It's still a, quite a, a difficult process. So, so but there's some things coming that might, might potentially give it a bit more, um, a bit more merit. And I mean, it, it'll never make the, the open BIM community happy for sure. They're never going to be happy about Revit and I understand why, um, but maybe it might, might slightly improve some collaboration between other platforms, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. So that was an interesting little, little yeah. Thing I wrote. yeah. You said is Briscad or uh, Briscad? Briscad. Yeah, uh, Br Briscad. Yeah, yeah. Briscad. I call it Briscad sometimes by accident, but because um, we have a, we have a BIM community called Brisbim here, so I always just sort of like just naturally in my head, I I think Briscad when I say it, but I know it's Briscad. Yeah, so yeah, I tried it out myself um, recently actually, and it it was interesting. It felt more like a CAD program than a BIM program to me. Um, that was probably my main criticism of it. I think it's got the the 
promise and the potential uh, to grow into a, a fairly competent BIM program. Like I saw things like components that could host themselves to walls and features that BIM platforms need. But then I, I, I saw other things that were more challenging, like sheets and views didn't behave in a way that I was used to and that you sort of had to manually sort of set those things up. But um, but I could definitely appreciate that I, I was seeing something that could definitely grow to to, to fairly, fairly com compete fairly with a lot of other platforms on the market, I think. But listen, what, what I want to point out is that, that actually, what if Briscad uh, or Briscad uh, becomes uh, as big as Revit? What do you think is going to happen then? Yeah, it'll probably be another Revit. It'll close itself off. And yeah, so it's, it, it, I mean, it's, it's already, not, it's not the cheapest platform already. It's already 1500 a year or something like that. So. So it's not necessarily a solution, I think. So I agree, I'm not necessarily going to throw myself too hard at these platforms, even Archicad too, because they're they're exhibiting some of the same challenges that closed BIM has in common. Do you start seeing So if something comes up like like Blender BIM but with more tools in it, then I'm all for it. Not, <laughs> I mean, not only Blender BIM. What I'm trying to highlight here is that why the open source is the way. Like look look at the, the IT industry. Just look a little bit at it. Oh yeah, How, they were like, pretty much open all the way. Everything is, like the best tools are free. Everything is free. Everyone has yeah, access exactly. to it. I mean, you look at Visual it. Studio. I like to use Visual Studio as the best example of just a program that opens up a source like as deep as you want to go, essentially. Like you can develop your own applications on top of an engine. It's pretty amazing what, what the IT industry has done. I mean, well, Windows was, you know, way ahead of their time. Um, you know, they were, they were even ahead of Autodesk in the way they thought about their respective industry. They, they essentially invented their industry yeah. um, from the ground up almost. Um, so, so yeah, there's definitely some things we can learn. I think, I think the challenge is just the, the level of skill that we're seeing being taught to people um, maybe isn't necessarily going to align with what those platforms demand from an open source perspective. I think that we're going to see a lot of um, simplification coming onto those programs eventually, and that will maybe be the way that people get encouraged into the open source movement, um, in that they won't all be programmers. Some of them might be drafters, some of them might be detailers, they might be coordinators, and that and that that's that's the challenge that they'll face, I guess, and how long that means they can keep the source open for with with maybe minimal funding. So there's a lot of a lot of challenges, but I highly respect people that are keeping their source open and, and trying to keep those projects moving. So um, I'm all for one if it if it seems to be the one that could um could fill the gaps with what I do currently, I'll I'll definitely be on it. Yeah, yeah, but this is the the nicest thing about open source, right? Nobody can just close the project and say, yeah, I want to increase the fee or something. That that's not going to happen. Like everybody needs to agree. They, everyone develops together a platform that everyone can use and benefit from. That's the nice part. Yeah, and one but thing I have... really like about it, yeah, you go, uh, one thing I really like about it is it's very hard for an open source program to be bought out as well. That is one thing I do appreciate about them. It's very hard for a corporation to come and just buy it and close it off and say, bad luck, it's gone, because you at least had that program at that point. And someone else can say, well, you know what, you go and ruin it. I don't care. I'm going to keep it going on my side. So there is that beauty with open source that I appreciate. Um, one challenge we see with companies like Autodesk is that they acquire most of their platforms and, and close them off. Even if they were open to some degree, they get of closed off pretty fast. Um, whereas open source, it's quite difficult for that to happen. So it does maintain a little bit more integrity than, than the closed platforms ever could um, through the resilience of the community that supports them. So I do, I do appreciate them from that perspective as well. But I have, I have also come to appreciate the sort of the open closed um, format where you have things like Dynamo, which are very open in how we collaborate using it, um, but, but attached to closed platforms. So it's more like a, an open facet of a closed system 
Um, and sometimes I find that can be a very effective way to sort of get people thinking in an open manner or, or behaving in an open manner, even if they're not necessarily the developers themselves. Um, and, and that gets them sharing workflows. And that's been a really interesting so, sort of open source concept. I, I think Dynamo is technically open source as an engine, um, but I guess it, it gets attached to things that are, are closed source in nature, um, talking to closed APIs and things like that. So yeah, there's, there's many ways to go about it, I guess, and lots, lots of challenges that come with every, every business model you can follow, I guess. Yeah, thing is, uh, the bottom line, the conclusion here is that we generally as an industry, we need to open our, uh, our views a little bit. We are too conservative. And that's why we don't communicate well. That's why we that that's why everything uh, like this happens. And if we want to change something, like we need to contribute. Like don't expect for uh, an alien to come and uh, change your industry. Like you, yeah. if you so don't wait for someone else to solve the problem you've got right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's how I tell people that. The, but that's why I like things like scripting as well. Because if you're trying to solve a problem right now and you know how to program, you can solve it yourself. You don't have to wait for the program to build in a feature or or whatnot. And I guess open source is the same concept. You, you can build your own features, essentially. Um, you, you can architect your own program to be what you need it to be. So but that's why I try to teach people programming. So I feel like that opens their mind up to these types of concepts as well. And that, you know, you don't have to wait for feature Y and version whatever to come and save the world for you. I get a lot of people in my channel, they come to me and say, I want to do this, but I don't want to use Dynamo. And I'm like, okay, wait, <laughs> you know, you're, you're essentially asking the programmers to do it for you. So um, enjoy, just sit, sit around and see what happens. Um, but, but I guess programming is a way to, to bypass that, that, that challenge or to, to just find alternative methods, I guess. Um, so I guess that has, that's helped me think deeper about um, the value of an open source approach as well. It's just that barrier of entry. That's always the biggest, the biggest challenge I think that it's gonna face um, in, in whichever program it is that open source does require some degree of technical experience to pilot and, and integrate and develop and yeah. Yeah, yeah, and a uh, lack of um, a library of um, videos or uh, tutorials or something like. Yeah, initially for sure, that's definitely yeah, a challenge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but um, this is something that will get addressed to, uh, at some point by uh, different tools. So, but it's something very important, right? Uh, but it's very important at least to to raise awareness about this and uh, see that it might be possible. Uh, okay, it might be in two years or five years, but I'm sure uh, something will change. Yeah, because uh, it could even be. like, it could it's be catching in, up. It could be in a hundred. This might be the start of a very big, a very big journey for the industry. Potentially, we might even we might only be looking at the tip of the iceberg right now, for all we know. But um, but I guess we we started it right. That's the thing that matters. So you have, you have to start somewhere, and you have to start that journey, um, at some point. So or we could be looking at you know, four out of five years of a journey, and there's a shadow organization that's going to emerge next year and just surprise everyone. <laughs> you never know. There's a lot of stealth startups at the moment that I can see. Yeah, um, I think. I've, Every every probably tenth to fifteenth connection I get seems to either have worked at a stealth startup or they're working at a stealth startup right now. So there's a lot of interesting things that we we can't see yet that might might somehow relate to this as well. I feel because mm. a lot of companies know that they whilst they might develop something open, they want it to be closed at least from a an awareness perspective until they can get it to a point they're happy with. So that might be the other the other business model, I guess. On top of that, the the, the closed open source <laughs> yeah. or the initially closed yeah. open source. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting time to be in the industry, put it that way. And I think it's been great that you've you've been raising awareness for this as well. I really do commend um, that you know you've really given a lot of people a platform here um, to you. to to share that those open ideas and and even if it's not an open platform, someone talks about it's an open concept or an open idea, an open workflow. 
it's um at least the idea of sharing and communicating is, is just so valuable to, to moving things forward so it's been great to see you um see you give people that stage thank you man i really appreciate oh, uh, uh i really appreciate this feedback yeah it's been great to catch up as well too actually and just um sort of revisit what we spoke about last time and sort of see see how our our mindsets have shifted i feel like i've probably come, become a little bit more open and and you've obviously seen some things develop in your your side of the world and your career as well. So it's been good to sort of sort of sort of rebalance our perspectives a little bit. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. It was a heck of a conversation, man. And uh, I'm really yeah. looking for the, for the next one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm always open to more. Like maybe maybe in about another year we can we can tee up again and see see what's changed. Who knows? Maybe I'll be developing Blender bin by then. Who knows? You you, know, you never know where we'll be. It could be. I mean, it's, it's yeah, yeah. That, life that, takes that, us to funny places. That is an existing uh, parallel universe already, uh, Gavin. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. guess it has to be right if you believe in the concept of an infinite universe. Then yeah, I guess uh, somewhere I've developed one of him. I'm sure it's happening. <laughs> but I'm not going to yeah. take away Dion's thunder. That's all Dion's. I don't want to take it away from him. No, <laughs> I no, respect no, what no. he's doing. You, you you don't need to take him. You can help him. Yeah. Uh, that's, he's, oh, no, no, he's, he's, doing, he's doing great work. I, I respect what he's doing and I respect his tenacity as well. I think that's one thing I've always appreciated from Dion. He's got strong tenacity. He um he doesn't take no for an answer. For if he doesn't yeah. agree yeah. with something, he'll let them know. Yeah. And I think we need that too. People need to be more confident with um expressing their opinions. Even if it's not always the thing that people want to hear, it's if it's the thing they need to hear, that that's um that's something that's quite valuable too. Completely agree with that. Thank you very much. For taking the time man oh, you're welcome thank, really, thank you really nice. um, it's been great um great to talk and um, i look forward to seeing future episodes of um of bim voice in future and um we'll, we'll stay in touch no doubt yeah sure good luck with everything Excellent. you do oh thanks very much likewise i um, hope the project goes well and um yeah, yeah. thank you good night. i wish you a speedy recovery as well yeah thank you man i will be fine i'll be fine slowly yeah. but oh, you, look, you, look, you look very well now so it's good <laughs> to you. see you yeah thank you <laughs>